Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to the playoffs. TCU versus Michigan, Georgia versus Ohio State. Stetson Bennett goes for back-to-back national championships, and you can be ready for all the action with BetOnline Sportsbook. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus using the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live. On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is Tuesday, December 27th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening Hope you all are having a fantabulous holiday week. It is just going to be me on the show today because we've got a lot of guests lined up, all of our friends coming back to the show, and I've got some great podcast ideas to talk to them about. But this week we're kind of playing catch up a little bit because uh, we were off the air for about four days while I was traveling and doing all sorts of stuff. And yeah, we had NFL Monday on Monday, but now we get a chance to do some other podcast topics and... I needed to take a full podcast here today to geek out about baseball and talk about everything that happened last week with the San Francisco Giants and Carlos Correa. So, wanted to talk about Bucks and Celtics, wanted to talk about NBA Christmas Day. We'll do that another day. I really wanted to talk about the story that Jeremy Fowler did with the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. We'll do that another day, especially since we have Walter Mitchell and Joe Camo available at our disposal to talk about the Cardinals. We'll do that in another day. There's lots of content that I'm interested in talking about, and we're going to play catch up here over the next few days leading up to the college football playoffs. So today, we're going to do a full San Francisco Carlos Correa breakdown. Two things to kick off this Carlos Correa podcast. One, there's a link in the description of this episode if you want to watch our friend Juju Talk Sports Tears about Carlos Correa signing with the Giants and then not signing with the Giants. You can check it out there. Second, we're going to wish Carlos Correa a bye-bye baby with the San Francisco Giants 1970s theme song because there's one thing I love. It's 1970s sports anthems, and the San Francisco Giants have a pretty good one. So let's let's wish Carlos Correa bye-bye after his one-week career in San Francisco. When the Giants come to town, it's bye-bye, baby. 
So, if you're following the timeline of events on this here podcast, uh, we recorded our thanks, uh, our Christmas Spectacular podcast on Wednesday of last week. And when we recorded that, thanks, uh, that Christmas Spectacular podcast, that same night, uh, Carlos Correa somehow went from the San Francisco Giants to the New York Mets. It was just genuinely the most hilarious storyline I have seen all year, baseball or otherwise. Genuinely could not stop laughing at the fact that Carlos Correa, who Giants fans got so excited about, so excited about a 13-year contract for one of the 25 best players in baseball, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night was basically taken by the New York Mets and Giants fans had to wake up to the fact that like, hey, Carlos Correa's gone. And the only warning that they had was, hey, the original press conference was postponed because uh, they found something in the medicals that gave them a little bit of a pause. And so Giants fans were like, okay, we don't have a lot of reporting on this, but I guess we're just waiting to see. Nope, now, now we wake up the next morning. Carlos Correa's gone. He's gone. He's he's now a New York Met. Going to play third base for the Mets because the Mets have Francisco Lindor. Mets are just assembling an all-star cast because they have more money than any other team in baseball. And because Steve Cohen is buddies with Al Steinbrenner and Hal Steinbrenner was instrumental in getting Steve Cohen the Mets in the first place, he wasn't going to bid on Aaron Judge. So instead he bid on Carlos Correa. He got outbid by the San Francisco Giants who gave him $350 million. There's so many winding pieces to this story that are great and hilarious, hilarious parts to this story. I was reading Jeff Passan talking about this And there's literally no precedent for a star of this caliber having a contract signed and sealed and then a week later going to another team. And the thing that Juju and I had talked about, because Juju's a San Francisco Giants fan, which also made this sweeter is that I've surrounded myself in baseball world with San Francisco Giants fans, whether it's Juju or my roommate uh, in college and one of my great friends is a big San Francisco Giants fan living in Northern California. People at my radio station cover the San Francisco Giants. So surrounding myself with Giants fans makes it much more excellent when dumb shit like this happens. But Altogether, it was just incredibly, incredibly hilarious to watch that happen. So I think that helps the case for me. So Jeff Passon was saying there's basically no precedent for this case. And so uh, there are four points that I want to talk about, at least four I can think about off, off the top of my head. So first, let's talk about it from the Giants standpoint here. So Juju and I were talking about this after Correa signed with the Giants, which was... Uh, and after Judge signed with the with the Yankees instead of San Francisco. Because remember, San Francisco had the expectation for months that they were going to get Aaron Judge, even though reporting seemed pretty consistent that Judge wanted to stay with the Yankees. And so San Francisco ends up losing out on Judge, and it they sign Mitch Hanniger, and they re-sign... I don't think they re-sign Jock Peterson, but they sign Mitch Hanniger, 
and they get they get a bunch of one year and two year contracts in the in between. And so the thing that I had kind of pointed to is San Francisco seems inclined to not pay top dollar for second tier players. And this is an interesting conversation in baseball circles because if you are one of the franchises that has money in baseball and you're not a revenue sharing team, spending top dollar for second tier players is what you usually have to do because the top tier players don't ever hit free agency. They don't ever get to the point where they are available to be signed Usually, if you want a top-tier player, you either have to develop them or trade for them. Paul Goldschmidt was acquired by the St. Louis Cardinals. Nolan Arenado was acquired by the St. Louis Cardinals. Mookie Betts was acquired by the Los Angeles Dodgers from the Boston Red Sox. Those are the top-tier players. The top-tier players very often also re-sign with the teams that they play for. Jose Altuve re-signing with Houston. Mike Trout re-signing with the Angels. Those top-tier players rarely ever hit free agency, and when they do, like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, there was a bit of a hesitancy to sign them because of how long the contracts were and the dollar values that were being thrown around, to the point where Manny Machado ended up in San Diego, despite the fact that San Diego is not really a team on the radar four years ago when it came to a major, major free agent. But they ended up getting Manny Machado, and it's been one of the best free agent signings in the history of Major League Baseball, just as Bryce Harper has been one of the better free agent signings in the history of baseball. Yes, the Phillies paid $330 million to sign him, and also he just had one of the greatest playoffs not named Randy Rosarena in the last 10 years of baseball. And, and has also won a league MVP and might win a second league MVP in just his time with the Philadelphia Phillies. And so this is these have been incredible signings and those players are almost always never available. And Aaron Judge reflected one of those players that was available, was a, a an MVP, 62 home runs. I was stunned that there was even a possibility that the Yankees would allow him to walk out, given that he is the first star of that franchise post Derek Jeter. And the Yankees are no longer a team that can just fart out generational superstars like they did with Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera, all developed through their system. That's not who the Yankees are anymore. The Yankees are a a very good franchise with lots of money that hasn't made it to the World Series in in 13 years and is the little brother to Houston and Boston and even Tampa Bay occasionally. But little brothers to Houston and Boston. And they're a team that, uh, like, if they had lost Judge, and if they had subtracted a couple of those other contracts that they had, probably would have been in a position to miss the playoffs because Toronto is as good as them. Uh, the the Tampa Bay Rays are still trying their best to keep pace with, with what that division looks like. I mean, the Yankees were on the verge of falling out of contention altogether last year, and ultimately Judge's 62 home run season was what kept them in it. And so as it relates to San Francisco, Judge is one of those players that comes available. Juan Soto is one of those players that comes available, and San Francisco was in on them for a long time before the Padres offered a godfather offer to get him. So those players never come available. And the Giants were the team that was in on Judge. They lost out on Judge. 
and it seemed like they weren't going to pay top dollar for second tier. And I know calling Carlos Correa a second tier star is obviously a detriment to what Correa has done. He's had an incredible career. He is what I would call the hall of very good in baseball circles. He is a very, very good baseball player and is potentially worth $300 million to a team willing to bid for his services. I mean, clearly two teams were willing to pay him $300 million. And the Giants ended up paying that money for Carlos Correa. And the Giants are clearly one of those teams that has resources. I mean, baseball is one of those sports where, you know, Tampa, Oakland, like Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, half the league has payrolls half the size of the teams at the top of the sport. I mean, the luxury tax that the Mets are going to pay, and this is a stat that's been thrown around a lot, the, the Mets' luxury tax of $111 million is above the league average payroll. The league average payroll last year was $109 million. 16 different teams were paying less than $100 million for their roster. And the New York Mets are paying $500 million for their roster. The Yankees are $240 million. The Padres are over $200 million. The Dodgers are over $300 million. There are haves and have-nots in baseball based on revenue sharing and willingness to accept financial losses, similar to how the Dodgers do it, where they make a ton of money and they invest most of it back into the team. That's what reportedly the Padres are doing. I don't know what the Padres' financials exactly are, but... It's, there's a difference there between Oakland, who siphons off assets to Atlanta and Toronto and the Mets and the Padres, as they've done the last few years. Oakland works with works within the margins as a small market and basically what I call a minor league baseball team. And there's about 10 of those in baseball every single year. I mean, Arizona's going through that cycle right now. Phil, uh, Pittsburgh's going through that cycle as they have done for 30 years. Um, you know, every division has one of these teams. Detroit is that team right now. Kansas City is that team right now. Uh, Baltimore has been that team for years, although they're slowly starting to spend a little bit more money. Every division has one of those teams, and some divisions have two. Miami Marlins are that team where they just don't spend money at a way that competes with other teams, whether they have the money or not, besides the point, they get revenue sharing dollars from the league. But San Francisco is one of these teams that has money and has been reluctant to spend the money unless they're getting top quality in return. And they were able to get a 108 win season, but spending the money on Correa was something that made sense. And then it went away. And all of a sudden they were back to team that wouldn't spend top dollar on second tier And as a result, the Giants are kind of punting on this season. Now, I don't think signing Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa would have turned their fortunes overnight. But at the same time, Carlos Correa was a building block towards something else. Which brings me to the next point I had. I said I had four. This is number two. What the hell are the San Francisco Giants doing next? Like, I I was having this conversation and, and three people gave me three different answers, which was... Juju talking about this is the farm system and they're building up towards something through development and sustainability. My brother was talking about, well, this is where they tear it all to the ground and where they become like what Colorado is doing and they trade pieces and build up the farm system again. And then I got another one, which is, well, they'll wait to spend money next year and build something up to get back to potentially the wild card race. 
and I couldn't figure out what the game plan was because the interesting strategy in baseball is that if you're one of the teams that has gigantic financial resources, which the Giants are, they were in a position to pay Carlos Correa $350 million in the first place, which is something that Oakland, their their, their Bay Area little brothers, per se, Oakland would never be caught dead paying $350 million for a free agent. It's just not something that they do. And it's not something that 10 teams in the league have ever done. Pittsburgh has never paid over $200 million for a free agent. Tampa has never paid over $200 million until they just signed Wander Franco to a 13-year contract. Tampa's never done that. Uh, Baltimore has never done that. Chris Davis was $150 million, and that contract is still the largest they've ever handed out. They wouldn't give a contract to Manny Machado, even though Manny Machado has been an MVP player the last five seasons. Baltimore's not doing that. Kansas City's not doing that. Uh, Cleveland's not doing that. Cleveland, Cleveland's found a great way to build in the margins, but they're still not doing that. Pittsburgh's not doing that. Miami did it for Giancarlo Stanton, and they've never done it again. Uh, they traded Giancarlo Stanton before that contract hit the, the bulk of the deal. So, like, Miami paid a $300 million contract and immediately traded Giancarlo Stanton three years later. Like, you can, you can point to those teams and say they don't hand out those contracts. The Giants are one of those teams that can. And because so many teams in the sport can't pay for those, because of the resource discrepancy in a sport that doesn't have a salary cap, the, the San Francisco Giants can basically buy a playoff spot. If they spend enough money, they can buy themselves a playoff spot in a sport that now has almost half the league making the playoff. Philadelphia did it last year. They got hot at the right time and made the World Series. Philadelphia hadn't made the playoffs in 13 years until they snuck in as the sixth seed last year and ended up making a run to the World Series because baseball can be random like that sometimes. You can buy your way into the playoffs, especially this year in the National League and over the next two years because Pittsburgh is years away from contention. Cincinnati is years away from contention. Miami is years away from contention. The Nationals are terrible, 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 terrible. Arizona is terrible. Colorado is terrible. I just listed six of the 15 teams in the National League right there. Colorado, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Miami, and Washington have no chance of competing next season. Even the Cubs who are turning a, the Cubs are certainly turning a corner. They're spending money to get back into this game. But those six teams have no chance of making the playoff next season. So right there, if you're San Francisco, you're one of nine competing for six spots. If you spend enough money, you can get one of those six spots. Now the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets, the Braves, they're spending ridiculous amounts of money to compete in similar divisions to them. So maybe there's nothing the Giants can do without having young players mixed in with the with getting better than replacement level players mixed in with free agents to to compete for the playoffs. But over two seasons, if they spend enough money, they can basically guarantee themselves what the Phillies got this year, which is a fifth or a sixth seed in the, in the National League playoffs. If you just spend enough money, you can basically guarantee yourself a playoff spot. And so what I'm interested in is, is that the strategy they go down? Or do they go down the strategy of tanking and starting over again? Which to me would be shocking because they just did that three years ago. From 2017 to 2019, the San Francisco Giants 
were bad. I mean, one year they got the number two pick in the draft. One year they got the 10 pick. One year they got the 13 pick. But in all of those seasons, they had no real chance of competing. They, they went into the season knowing that they weren't going to make the playoff and knowing that the goal of the season was to develop young players and shed those contracts that they had taken on like Longoria and like McCutcheon off the books. They knew that they weren't competing in those seasons and they knew that that was and Buster Posey was out for an entire season and then missed the COVID year. He sat out the whole year. Like you can point to that and say San Francisco had three years of rebuilding that resulted in a 108-win season, yet the 108-win season had very little to do with the actual rebuilding itself. It had to do with signing Mike Yastrzemski, signing Donovan Solano, uh, Darren Ruff being a four-hitter on a team that won 108 games, like just Wilmer Flores. It didn't have anything to do with their rebuild. It had to do with players they found with great value that I think is a testament to their general manager and the resurgence of Brandon Crawford's and Brandon Belts. And so I look at the team right now and I've gotten three different answers about what the hell do they do now? And none of them actually feels like a satisfactory answer for San Francisco, which is baffling to me because like they can, they can spend enough money and basically guarantee themselves a playoff spot. And so it's super interesting that it seems like they have no direction seems like they have no game plan of how to get back to contention. Sure, Mitch Hanniger might end up being a 35 home run guy, but I'm just fascinated by that team and how I guess Carlos Correa was supposed to make a lot of your problems go away, but at the same time, Chris Bryant was supposed to make a lot of your problems go away, and they didn't, re- they didn't pay to re-sign Chris Bryant either, even though they traded for him during the 108-win season. Seemed like he enjoyed being in San Francisco, and they didn't even pay to re-sign him. Now, it was ultimately a great decision to not re-sign him. It's just interesting that they're kind of like the, the the decision to not pay top dollar for second tier combined with the embarrassment of signing Carlos Correa and then having to back out of the Carlos Correa deal and get your fan base up in arms because they thought they were going to get one of the 25 best players in baseball, which is something San Francisco doesn't have right now. They currently don't have one of the 25 best players in baseball. Correa would have instantly been the best player on their team, or at least the second best player on their team. And now they don't even get that. And so... It's a bit of an irritation in terms of the fan base, but I don't think the fan base matters in terms of, you know, the the product and the results. The thing is, the process seems like it seems like the process isn't very good. It doesn't seem like there is much of a process leading to success for San Francisco. And so I'm genuinely baffled at where they go next and what the game plan is for San Francisco once Carlos Correa is gone and how they pivot from that situation to a team that's probably not good enough as it currently stands to get that last playoff spot in the National League, which I guess means second year in a row that they they don't make the playoff, basically, second year in a row that they're not competing. When the Giants come to town, it's Giants 
So the other side to this is uh, the the third point I want to talk about, which is uh, is Carlos Correa. Man, last year must have been stressful as hell for Carlos Correa. Because for those who who may not follow baseball super super intently, last year Carlos Correa found himself as a free agent at 28 years old. Coming off a World Series where the Houston Astros lost to the Braves, and Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman hit a combined four for 46, which is below 100 on the batting average between the uh, between the two of them. Correa and Bregman were a big part of the reason why the Astros lost that World Series to the Braves. Couldn't generate enough offense. And the Braves got offense from randos like Jorge Soler and Adam Duvall and Eddie Rosario, players who they acquired at the trade deadline that very season on one-year contracts, three of whom aren't even on the team anymore. (laughs) Jorge Soler is gone, Adam Duvall is gone, uh, Eddie Rosario is still there, and uh, I forgot who the last player they acquired was, but uh, he's no longer on the team anymore. But he was in their starting lineup for the playoff. So... They subtracted Carlos Correa in Houston, brought in Jeremy Pena, who was a rookie first-round pick 2018. Jeremy Pena won League Championship Series MVP, World Series MVP, and we've talked about with the Astros, despite the fact that Jose Altuve went 1-for-28 to start the postseason, the Astros went 7-0 and in those games where Jose Altuve went 1-for-28. And no star ever gets to age that gracefully like Jose Altuve did because of how stacked that Houston team was. And because sub- subtracting Carlos Correa and adding Jeremy Pena is a pretty easy way to explain how the Astros go from losing the World Series in six games to winning the World Series in five games. It's a pretty simple explanation for how that one played out. So Carlos Correa hit free agency last year, but last year was the lockout season. So everyone was spending big money right before the lockout. Corey Seager got $300 million. Marcus Semien got $180 million. And Carlos Correa decided, because he wasn't getting the long-term offers that he had prioritized, Carlos Correa decided he was going to wait. He was going to wait until after the lockout, and then he was going to get his long-term contract, Uh, And then the lockout lasted for three months. And Carlos Correa only had a handful of deals on the table. And he took a three-year contract with the Twins with an opt-out after one season. And he took that opt-out immediately after one season and hit free agency again without a lockout with him being the second best free agent on the market. Y'all, I don't know what kind of stressful year Carlos Correa had last year, but Carlos Correa said, I don't ever want to be playing for a contract like that again. Give me 13 years. Give me all the money. Give me 14 years if you can. I don't ever want to have to hit free agency again in my entire career. There were no opt-outs in that Giants deal. He had 13 years, no opt-outs, 
$350 million, longest contract in the history of baseball, just said, don't ever make me go through that shit again. (laughs) And then as soon as the medical concern came up with the Giants, Boris went back to negotiate with the Mets, and Correa had a 12-year, $315 million deal set up and ready to go, and... He took the longest-term deal he could possibly get, and then when the longest-term deal broke down because of medical concerns, he said, give me the longest-term deal you can get for lesser money with the, with the next team. And the Mets ended up giving him 12 years. Damn, that season must have been stressful as hell for Carlos Correa. That season must have been stressful as hell for Carlos Correa to deal with because Carlos Correa got to free agency and he said give me security 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 I've been through free agency twice I've been through free agency in a lockout do not make me have to go through free agency ever again in my career and I don't even think that the long-term deal was related to medicals like if we want to talk about specifically what the injury is so it's a it's a leg injury that Carlos Correa had his senior year of high school. He, as a result, he's a little bit inverted in the way that he, um, like, the way he runs out of the po- runs out of the box or runs on a defensive play. He's a, his knee alignment is a little bit inverted, and there's concern that it puts excess strain on the MCL or the PCL, one of the two, and. As a result, one major knee injury could be devastating to his career based on what that um, previous uh, injury history suggests. And our friend Bob Nightingale, friend of the show Bob Nightingale, described how the most likely scenario for this Mets deal is that they they come to terms on a uh, provision in the contract where the Mets can reclaim some of the money if that specific medical concern comes up. The same thing happened with uh, J.D. Martinez's Boston Red Sox contract, although I don't think the medical concern actually ended up coming up at any time. And so basically what you're looking at in the case of uh, of Carlos Correa is he's going to end up being with the Mets. It's going to be the same deal. There's just going to be provisions in the contract. But Correa talked about how he like tackled, hugged Boris, Scott Boris's agent, after he got him that contract. And, man, I think the reason that's the case is because Carlos Correa really, really, really didn't want to have to hit free agency ever again in his career. Just secure the bag, no opt-outs, just this is my contract for the rest of time. I will take the highest dollar value and the longest-term contract, and I will be fine. And that's basically the way that Carlos Correa came to terms on his contract, it was like, don't ever make me have to hit free agency again. Don't ever make me have to go through that process ever again. So the last point I wanted to talk about with this story, which I think is less funny than the other ones, is the New York Mets. Because while the New York Giants find themselves uh, kind of in a no-man's-land territory, New York Mets, woo-wee, it's going to be going to be an interesting interesting few seasons for the New York Mets because baseball is an interesting sport where the resource discrepancy is so gigantic that spending a ton of money immediately makes you a competitor and you can just write off bad contracts that sometimes are larger than many teams 10 highest paid players on the team 
like the Red Sox did when they just cut Pablo Sandoval and cut Hanley Ramirez and still ended up winning the World Series in 2018. And so what's interesting is resources can basically buy you a playoff spot in baseball. The structures and systems of the baseball playoffs are so random that the Mets can spend all the money in the world and never make it, haven't won a playoff series yet. And the Dodgers for 10 years have had infinite resources at their disposal and the best general manager and president in baseball in Andrew Friedman. They've had the best run front office. They've had infinite resources and yet they've won one championship, been to three and have made the playoffs 10 consecutive seasons, but only have won the championship in 10% of those seasons which again, until last year, only 10 teams made the playoffs, which meant that the Dodgers essentially were playing equal odds on their chances of winning. There were 10 seasons. They won one championship. 10 teams made the playoff. If you make the playoffs 10 times in a row, statistically, you are likely to win one championship if every team has an equal chance of winning the championship. So the Dodgers basically are random in their chances of winning a championship, even though they've been there every single year. What money and resources and and good development gets you is into the playoffs every single year. And the Dodgers won 111 games this year, and they lost to the Padres because San Diego had a bullpen that was okay during the season, got to the Dodgers series, and had 27 consecutive innings without allowing a run. And as a result, in a small sample size sport, San Diego beat the Dodgers in the greatest moment in my entire sporting lifetime, basically like a championship for San Diego, beat the 111-win Dodgers. And it wasn't even close. Philadelphia played against the Atlanta Braves, who had 100 wins, won the World Series the year before. Philadelphia blew the brakes off of them in four games. And then Philadelphia got to the World Series. They got the brakes blown off of them by Houston. Prior to Houston winning the World Series, eight different baseball teams won a championship the previous eight years. 2014 Giants, 2015 Royals, 2016 Cubs, 2017 Astros, 2018 Boston, 2019 Washington Nationals, 2020 Dodgers, 2021 Braves. Eight different champions in eight years. Baseball is so random when you get to the playoffs that even as the Mets spend exorbitant amounts of money, it still doesn't guarantee them any further advancement in the playoffs. And we talked about this when they got Verlander over DeGrom. That is great process. Shorter-term deal for Verlander, better than longer-term deal for DeGrom, who's only pitched 40% of his starts the last two seasons. Process is correct when they give Carlos Correa a 12-year contract and move him to third base. Process is correct. Process is the right way to go. When you have infinite resources, use those infinite resources to your advantage. And they they uh, brought in, I can't remember which catcher they brought in, but they moved off of James McCann as their catcher, as a money-saving val- and a value-saving play. The Mets have had an incredible offseason. The Mets have done things right in terms of process and using those infinite resources to your advantage. 
And the crazy thing about baseball is it won't guarantee them any better results than they had last year. Maybe they win a National League East title, which they almost did last year until they threw it away against the Atlanta Braves. Maybe they win a National League East title. Didn't help the Braves winning the National League East. Their first playoff series, they lost to the Phillies. The Mets made the wild card. They lost in three games to San Diego. The sample sizes are just so small and the sport is so random where Trent Grisham, I talk about it every year, (laughs) Trent Grisham hit home runs in consecutive games off Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom despite the fact he had the second worst batting average of any player in baseball who had over 500 at-bats in a season in the history of baseball. History of baseball, second worst batting average of any player that batted 500 times in a season. Granted, 500 at-bats is a large threshold to hit. The Mets have had an incredible... I want to be clear about that. Process-wise, the Mets have had an incredible offseason. It does not guarantee them any results because there is literally nothing they can do that will guarantee them results. Getting Carlos Correa, getting Justin Verlander, replacing James McCann as catcher, these are great, great moves for the Mets to make. And they're moves the Mets should make because they have infinite resources. The Mets have fought, have billions of dollars and are going to spend $111 million in luxury tax. You can allocate $40 million for a number two starter like you did with Verlander. You can allocate $38 million in year one to Carlos Correa to be your third baseman while also paying Francisco Lindor $34 million a year to be your shortstop. You can do these things. They are great financial decisions. What's interesting is that it won't guarantee results. And so I'm really interested to watch this Mets team play from the entertainment value of it. Great process. We'll see what happens with the results. It won't guarantee them anything. And the best example you can point to for why it won't guarantee them results is Carlos Correa. Remember, at the beginning, we were talking about Correa and his free agency. In that World Series in 2021, Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman, two of the four, two of the core four players we used to talk about with the Astros. Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman hit four for 46 in the series against the Braves. Carlos Correa leaves Houston. They replace him with rookie Jeremy Pena. Rookie Jeremy Pena has an all-star season. Wins League Championship Series MVP, hitting 375 with multiple home runs. And Jeremy Pena wins World Series MVP. You can, just, you can draw a discernible line between Carlos Correa, who is a great player worthy of $300 million today because two teams were willing to pay him $300 million. His production is worthy over the past seven years of a $300 million contract. Former number one pick in the draft. All of those Astros tanking seasons led to Correa and Bregman. Correa was the number one pick in 2012. Bregman was the number two pick in 2014. All their losing led to getting those players. Correa has been an excellent, excellent number one pick in the draft. Worthy of one of the 25 best players in baseball, which makes him worthy of a $300 million contract. And at the same time, it didn't guarantee the Astros' results. And the Astros actually got better results by replacing Correa with Pena. I don't know why that's the case, but it is. And baseball works that way, and the Astros have developed a machine that is able to develop and replicate players similar to how Carlos Correa plays, both of whom are former first-round picks. 
And so what's really fascinating is Correa is the example you point to of why results aren't guaranteed in a sport that's so random, in a sport where sample sizes are so small. Correa also is the right move for the Mets to make, even with all the bullshit about the medicals. Because the Mets have the infinite resources to spend, and they absolutely should continue to spend those. Results, we'll see, but the process is correct. And that's something that I talk about all the time in sports. Process versus results. The Mets are making the right move. The results could be as random as the Dodgers winning one championship in 10 years. We'll see what happens on the results end. But I don't think we should worry about, oh, do the Mets have to win a championship or whatever. I don't think we should be worrying about the results, and more so we should be interested about the process. Not only because the process is infinitely more interesting, we've never seen a team spend the kind of money that the Mets have. We've never seen a team be willing to take the financial losses uh, the Mets are willing to take because Steve Cohen is worth $8 billion and really, really wants to own the Mets. Like, we've never seen a process quite like what the Mets are undertaking, so I think it's interesting to follow that. But the other reason it's more fun to follow the, the process is it's infinitely more entertaining and it's infinitely more funny to laugh at Carlos Correa signing a deal with the Giants, having medicals be the reason the deal gets derailed, and then having Carlos Correa jump ship to the New York Mets, leaving Giants fans in absolute disgust. Meanwhile, the Mets feel like they just got a robbery of Correa, a team that's spending more money than any in baseball and also might totally lose to the Giants in the wild card because baseball is incredibly stupid like that. It's totally possible. Dumber shit has happened in the last three years. Jeremy Pena winning World Series MVP the year after Correa leaves. Bryce Harper leaving the Nationals and the Nationals winning the World Series the next year. Baseball's absolutely stupid. Dumb shit happens all the time, and I, w- I wouldn't even be shocked if San Francisco gets the five seed, the Mets get the four seed, they play a wild card series at City Field again, and lo and behold, the goddamn Giants upset the Mets because Logan Webb had a seven-inning seven shutout, and Camillo Duvall, who's one of the best young closers in baseball, comes in and shuts the door on the Mets. Like, wouldn't even be surprised if that happens. Dumb shit like that happens all the time. If Correa goes to the Mets and the Mets end up losing to the Giants in the playoffs, it probably won't happen. But results are dumb in baseball. Results are fun and stupid. And it'll be great to watch it play out. In the meantime, let's just be entertained and intrigued by the process itself versus worrying about the results. Because it's much more entertaining to laugh at the fact that the Giants had Carlos Correa. And then they didn't. And they woke up the next morning and he had been taken in the evening out the back door to the New York Mets. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Make sure to leave a five-star review, download, and continue to support all of the fine work that we have. I promise you college football content is coming up sometime later this week. But In the meantime, make sure to take it easy. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. When the giants come to town, it's bye-bye, baby. Every time the chips are done.